Chapter Twelve, Part One, of the Worst Journey in the World, Volume Two, by Apsley Cherry Garrard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, The Polar Journey, Returning Parties, Part One. The Devil, and these are the creatures in whom you discover what you call a life force, Don Juan. Yes, for now comes the most surprising part of the whole business. The statue. What's that? Don Juan. Why, that you can make any of these cowards brave by simply putting an idea into his head. The statue. Stuff! As an old soldier, I admit the cowardice. It's as universal as seasickness, and matters just as little. But that about putting an idea into a man's head is stuff and nonsense. In a battle, all you need to make you fight is a little hot blood, and the knowledge that it's more dangerous to lose than to win. Don Juan. That is perhaps why battles are so useless, but men never really overcome fear until they imagine they are fighting to further a universal purpose, fighting for an idea, as they call it. Bernard Shaw. Man and Superman. Two dog-teams. Mears and Dimitri, turned back from the bottom of the Beardmore Glacier on December 11, 1911. They reached Hut Point on January 4, 1912. First supporting party, Atkinson, Cherry Garrard, Wright, Kayon, turned back in latitude 85 degrees 15 minutes on December 22, 1911. They reached Hut Point January 26, 1912. Last supporting party, Lieutenant Evans, Lashley, Crean, turned back in latitude 87 degrees 32 minutes on January 4th, 1912. They reached Hut Point February 22nd, 1912. Of the three teams which started up the Beardmore Glacier, the first to return, a fortnight after starting the summit rations, was known as the first supporting party. The second to return, a month after starting the summit rations, was known as the last supporting party. Of the two dog-teams under Mears, which had already turned homewards at the bottom of the glacier, after having been brought forward farther than had been intended, I will speak later. I am going to say very little about the first return party, which consisted of Atkinson, Wright, Cayon, and myself. Atkinson was in command, and before we left Scott told him to bring the dog-teams out to meet the polar party, if, as seemed likely, Mears returned home. Atkinson is a naval surgeon, and you will find this party referred to in Lashley's diary as the Doctors. It was a sad job saying good-bye. It was thick, snowing and drifting clouds when we started back after making the depot, and the last we saw of them as we swung the sledge north was a black dot just disappearing over the next ridge, and a big white pressure wave ahead of them. Scott said some nice things when we said good-bye. Anyway, he has only to average seven miles a day to get to the pole on full rations. It's practically a cert for him. I do hope he takes Bill and Birdie. The view over the icefalls and pressure by the Mill Glacier from the top of the icefalls is one of the finest things I have ever seen. Atch is doing us proud. No five hundred mile journey down the Beardmore and across the barrier can be uneventful, even in midsummer. We had the same dreary drag, the same thick weather fears and anxieties which other parties have had. A touch of the same dysentery and sickness, the same tumbles and crevasses, the same Christmas comforts, a layer of plum pudding at the bottom of our cocoa, 
and some rocks collected from a moraine under the cloudmaker. The same groping for tracks, the same cairns lost and found, the same snow-blindness and weariness, nightmares, food dreams. Why repeat? Comparatively speaking, it was a very little journey, and yet the distance from Cape Evans to the top of the Beardmore Glacier and back is 1164 statute miles. Scott's southern journey of 1902-3 to was 950 statute miles. One day only is worth recalling. We got into the same big pressure above the cloudmaker, which both the other parties experienced. But where the other two parties made east to get out of it, we went west at Wright's suggestion. West was right. The day really lives in my memory because of the troubles of Cairn. He fell into crevasses to the full length of his harness eight times in twenty-five minutes. Little wonder he looked a bit dazed. And Atkinson went down into one chasm head foremost. The worst crevasse fall I've ever seen. But luckily the shoulder straps of his harness stood the strain, and we pulled him up little the worse. All three parties off the plateau owed a good deal to Mears, who, on his return with the two dog-teams, built up the cairns which had been obliterated by the big blizzard of December 5th to 8th. The ponies' walls were drifted level with the surface, and Mears himself had an anxious time finding his way home. The dog-tracks also helped us a good deal. The dogs were sinking deeply, and making heavy weather of it. At the barrier depot we found rather despondent notes from Mears about his progress. To the southern barrier depot he had uncomfortably high temperatures and a very soft surface, and found the cairns drifted up and hard to see. At the middle barrier depot we found a note from him dated December 20th. Thick weather and blizzards had delayed him, and once he had got right off the tracks and had been out from his camp hunting for them. They were quite well, a little eye-strained from searching for the cairns. He was taking a little butter from each bag of the three depoted weekly units, and with this would have enough to the next depot on short rations. At the upper glacier depot, Mount Hooper, the news from Mears was dated Christmas Eve in the evening. The dogs were going slowly, but steadily, in very soft stuff, especially his last two days. He was running short of food, having only biscuit crumbs, tea, some corn flour, and half a cup of pemmican. He was therefore taking fifty biscuits, and a day's provision for two men from each of our units. He had killed one American dog some camps back. If he killed more, he was going to kill Krizravitsa, who he said was the fattest and laziest. We shall take on thirty biscuits short. Mears was to have turned homewards with the two dog teams in latitude 81 degrees 15 minutes. Scott took him on to approximately 83 degrees 35 minutes. The dogs had the ponies on which to feed. To make up the deficiency of man-food, we went one biscuit a day short when going up the Beardmore, but the dogs went back slower than was estimated, and his provisions were insufficient. It was evident that the dog-teams would arrive too late, and be too done to take out the food which had still to be sledged to one ton for the three parties returning from the plateau. It was uncertain whether a man-hauling party with such of this food as they could drag would arrive at the depot before us. We might have to travel the 130 geographical miles from one ton to Hut Point on the little food which was already at that depot, and we were saving food by going on short rations to meet this contingency if it arose. Judge, therefore, our joy when we reached one ton in the evening of January 15th to find three of the five excess rations which were necessary for the three parties. A man-hauling party, consisting of Day, Nelson, Hooper and Clissold, 
had brought out this food. They left a note saying the crevasses near Corner Camp were bad and open. Day and Hooper had reached Cape Evans from the barrier on December 21st. They started out again on this depot-laying trip on December 26th. It is a common experience for men who have been hungry to be ill after reaching plenty of food. Atkinson was not at all well during our journey into Hut Point, which we reached without difficulty on January 26th. When I was looking for data concerning the return of the last supporting party, of which no account has been published, I wrote to Lashley and asked him to meet and tell me all that he could remember. He was very willing, and added that somewhere or other he had a diary which he had written. Perhaps it might be of use? I asked him to send it to me, and was sent some dirty thumbed sheets of paper, and this is what I read. 3rd January 1912. Very heavy going today. This will be our last night together, as we are to return tomorrow, after going on in the forenoon with a party chosen for the pole, that is, Captain Scott, Dr. Wilson, Cap Notes, Lieutenant Bowers, and Taff Evans. The captain said he was satisfied we were all in good condition, fit to do the journey, but only so many could go on, so it was his wish that Mr. Evans, Crean, and myself should return. He was quite aware we should have a very stiff job, but we told him we did not mind that, providing he thought they could reach the pole with the assistance we had been able to give them. The first time I have heard we were having mules, coming down to assist us next year. I was offering to remain at Hot Point, to be there if any help was needed, but the captain said it was his and also Cap Notes's wish, if the mules arrived, I was to take charge of and look after them until their return, but if they did not arrive, there was no reason why I should not come to Hot Point and wait their return. We had a long talk with the owner, Scott, in our tent about things in general, and he seemed pretty confident of success. He seemed a bit afraid of us getting hung up, but as he said we had a splendid navigator, who he was sure he could trust to pull us through. He also thanked us all heartily for the way we had assisted in the journey, and he should be sorry when we parted. We are, of course, taking the mail, but what a time before we get back to send it. We are nearly as far as Shackleton was on his journey. I shall not write more to-night, it is too cold. 4th of January 1912 We accompanied the pole party for about five miles, and everything seemed to be going pretty well, and Captain Scott said they felt confident they could pull the load quite well, so there was no more need for us to go on farther. So we stopped, and did all the talking we could in a short time. We wished them every success and a safe return and asked each one if there was anything we could do for them when we got back, but they were all satisfied they had left nothing undone, so the time came for the last handshake and goodbye. I think we all felt it very much. They then wished us a speedy return and safe, and then they moved off. We gave them three cheers, and watched them for a while until we began to feel cold. Then we turned and started for home. We soon lost sight of each other. We travelled a long time so as to make the best of it while the weather was suitable, as we have to keep up a good pace on the food allowance. It won't do to lay up much. One thing since we left Mount Darwin, we have had weather we could travel in, although we have not seen the sun much of late. We did thirteen miles as near as we can guess by the cairns we have passed. We have not got a sledge meter, so shall have to go by guess all the way home. Owing to the loss of a sledge meter on the Beardmore Glacier, one of the three parties had to return without one. A sledge-meter gives the navigator his dead reckoning, indicating the miles travelled like the log of a ship. 
to be deprived of it in a wilderness of snow without landmarks adds enormously to the difficulties and anxieties of a sledge party. 5th of January 1912 We were up and off this morning, the weather being fine, but the surface is about the same. The temperature keeps low. We have got to change our pulling billets. Crean has become snow-blind today through being leader, so I shall have the job tomorrow, as Mr. Evans seems to get blind rather quickly. So if I lead and he directs me from behind, and we ought to get along pretty well. I hope my eyes will keep all right. We made good seventeen miles and camped. 6th January 1912 We are making good progress on the surface we have to contend with. We picked up the three-degree depot soon after noon, which puts us up to time. We took our provisions for a week. We have got to reach Mount Darwin depot, a distance of 120 miles, with seven days' provisions. We picked up our ski and camped for the night. We have been wondering if the others have got the same wind as us. If so, it is right in their face, whereas it is at our back, a treat to what it is facing it. Crean's eyes are pretty bad tonight. Snow blindness is an awful complaint, and no one I can assure you looks forward with pleasure when it begins to attack. 7th January 1912 We have had a very good day as far as travelling goes. The wind has been behind us and is a great help to us. We have been on ski all day for the first time. It seems a good change to footing it. The one thing day after day gets on one's nerves. Crean's eyes are a bit better today, but far from being well. The temperature is pretty low, which don't improve the surface for hauling, but we seem to be getting along pretty well. We have no sledge meter, so we have to go by guess. Mr. Evans says we done seventeen and a half miles, but I say sixteen and a half. I am not going to overestimate our day's run as I am taking charge of the biscuits, so we don't overstep the mark. This we have all agreed to, so that we should exactly know how we stand from day to day. I am still leading, not very nice as the light is bad. We caught a glimpse of the land to the east of us, but could only have been a mirage. 8th January 1912 On turning out this morning we found it was blowing a blizz, so it was almost a case of having to remain in camp but on second thoughts we thought it best to kick off, as we can't afford to lay up on account of food, so thought it best to push on. I wonder if the pole party have experienced this. If so, they could not travel, as it would be in their face, where we have got it at our back. We have lost the outward-bound track, so have decided to make a straight line to Mount Darwin, which will be on Shackleton's course according to his and Wilde's diary. Each of the three parties which went forward up the Beardmore Glacier carried extracts from the above diaries. Wilde was Shackleton's right-hand man in his southern journey in 1908. 9th January 1912. Travelling is very difficult. Bad light and still blizzing. It would have been impossible to keep in touch with the Cairns in this weather. I am giving 12 miles tonight. The weather have moderated a bit and looks a bit more promising. Can see land at times. 10th January 1912 The light is still very bad, with a good deal of drift, but we must push on as we are a long way from our depot, but we hope to reach it before our provisions run out. I am keeping a good eye on them. Crean's eyes have got all right again now. 11th January 1912 Things are a bit better today. Could see the land all right, and where to steer for. It is so nice to have something to look at but I am thinking we shall all have our work cut out to reach the depot before our provisions run short. I am deducting a small portion each meal, 
so that we shall not have to go without altogether if we don't bring up at the proper time. I've done about fourteen miles. 12th January 1912 The day has been full of adventure. At first we got into some very rough stuff, with plenty of crevasses. Had to get rid of the ski and put our thinking cap on, as we had not got under way long before we were at the top of some ice falls. These probably are what Shackleton spoke of. We could see it meant a descent of 600 to 700 feet, or make a big circuit, which meant a lot of time and a big delay, and this we can't afford just now, so we decided on the descent into the valley. This proved a difficult task, as we had no crampons, having left them at Mount Darwin depot. But we managed after a time by getting hold of the sledge each side, and allowing her to run into a big lump of pressure, which was, we knew, a risky thing to do. It took us up to lunch time to reach the valley, where we camped for lunch, where we all felt greatly relieved, having accomplished the thing safely, no damage to ourselves or the sledge, but we lost one of Crean's ski sticks. Some of the crevasses we crossed were a hundred to two hundred feet wide, but well bridged in the centre, but the edges were very dangerous indeed. This is where the snow and ice begins to roll down the glacier. After starting out our way again, we found we had to climb the hill. Things don't look very nice ahead again tonight. We don't seem to be more than a day's run from the depot, but it will surprise me if we reach it by tomorrow night. If not, we shall have to go on short rations, as our supply is nearly run out, and we have not lost any time. But we knew on starting we had to average fifteen and a half miles per day to reach it in time. 13th January 1912 This has been a very bad day for us, what with icefalls and crevasses. We feel all full up tonight. The strain is tremendous some days. We are camped, but not at the depot. But we hope to pick it up sometime tomorrow. We shall be glad to get off the summit, as the temperature is very low. We expected the party would have reached the pole yesterday, providing they had anything of luck. Scott reached the pole on January 17th. 14th January 1912 Sunday we reached the Mount Darwin depot at 2pm, and camped for lunch. We had just enough now for our meal. This is cutting it a bit fine. We have now taken our three and a half days allowance, which has got to take us another 57 miles to the Cloudmaker depot. This we shall do if we all keep as fit as we seem just now. We left a note at the depot to inform the captain of our safe arrival, wishing them the best of a journey home. We are quite cheerful here tonight, after having put things right at the depot, where we found the sugar exposed to the sun. It had commenced to melt, but we put everything all right before we left, and picked up our crampons and got away as soon as we could. We know there is not much time to spare. We are now beginning to descend rapidly. Tonight it is quite warm, and our tea and food is warmer. Things are going pretty favourable. We are looking forward to making good runs down the glacier. We have had some very heavy dragging lately, up the sharp rises we found on the outward journey. After a sharp rise we found a long gradual run down, two and three miles in length. We noticed this on our outward journey, and remarked on it, but coming back the long uphill drag we found out was pretty heavy work. End of chapter 12, part 1